If you've ever found yourself thinking, there's got to be a better way to plan, lead, innovate, inspire, to change the world, then you embody the spirit of the visionary. While many people are stuck in the way things have always been done, you know the future can only be found by those who are willing to blaze a new trail. And to that, we say welcome. The Wicked Opportunities podcast follows the rhythm of the Natural Foresight Framework, a unique approach to futures thinking that embraces our world of ever-increasing complexity for greater opportunities and transformation. Each month, we will tackle a wicked problem facing humanity, diving deeper each week to discover, explore, map, and create novel opportunities. Our goal is to empower you to discover the future and create it today. The Wicked Opportunities podcast is brought to you by Kedge, a global foresight, innovation, and strategic design firm serving the world's most successful organizations. And now, join futurists Yvette Montero-Salvatico and Frank Spencer as they continue your future-empowered journey. Your Wicked Opportunity starts now. Have you watched Hamilton again? Uh, no. Okay. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Frank Spencer. And I'm Yvette Montero-Salvatico. Yep. It's great to be with everyone at the Wicked Opportunities Podcast. Yeah. Just real quickly, let's share why we call it the Wicked Opportunities Podcast. Please do. So Wicked Opportunities comes from the concept of wicked problems. Yes. So, of course, uh, if you go back to Horse Riddle and, you know, some of those theoretical kind of uh, guys you would see in you know, a wicked problems is used in engineering and design. It's a concept that basically means uh, things have gotten so complex that when we attempt to create a solution for one of these complex problems, we end up creating three, four, five more problems along with it. So it's not, you know, we're in an age where complexity is increasing, it's exponential, and we can't just have simple solutions to problems anymore. Right. So we thought about this idea of wicked problems and the fact that we're surrounded by these complex problems that when we try to solve them, we create more problems. And we thought there has to be a better way to have a relationship with complexity. Complexity is not going away. And so out of that idea was birthed this concept of wicked opportunities. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're not even part of the problem is that we're looking at the problem and we're trying to look at it through old lens. Uh, complexity is actually a sign of maturity, right? And uh, we can look out in the universe and we see complexity um, when everything's are maturing. So we look at complexity like it's this enemy and we look at problems, problems, problems. Flip it on its head and think, oh, complexity is not our enemy, therefore it's not a problem. And what opportunities are availing themselves in the midst of this growing complexity? Right. Complexity actually affords us greater opportunities. So we have found ways of using tools and processes to really embody a wicked opportunity mindset. And so we decided that a podcast was a great way to share some of those thoughts with all of you. So this podcast and all the other Wicked Opportunities podcast is fueled by foresight, specifically our natural foresight method. Yes, yeah, so natural foresight was created well over a decade ago. 
and uh, it's used by companies around the world and organizations around the world. It's really based on wicked opportunities, basically using complexity, leveraging it and not saying, hey, look, let's you know just predict the future or uh, set things in stone, but really good futures work, you know, looks at multiples is multiple possibilities simultaneous multiples right and when we do that we're not fragile we're not brittle we become adaptive and resilient and transformative uh so that's what wicked uh, opportunities does. this is what the natural foresight method does and that's why we're following this four-phase path of the natural foresight method through every time that we tackle a wicked problem. Right. So through this podcast, our hope is to give you concrete, tangible, real-world examples of how you can leverage foresight to tackle the problems in your own life and across society. So we're really excited to walk down the path. Uh, Today's podcast will focus on the discover phase of the natural uh, foresight framework. And in particular, we're going to be using um, CLA or causal layered analysis, which is a tool developed by Sohil Anyatola. Um, and I am a huge fan of CLA as anyone who's ever heard us speak probably or has yeah. been to our sessions. know, I am a fangirl it's for up, CLA. It's up front for sure. It yeah. definitely gets up front in the training and the programs. And um, we're super happy to have a good relationship with Sohail and and to always use CLA up front in our, you know, four weeks of tackling a wicked problem. Right. So as we go down the CLA tool, which is often represented by an iceberg, what we're trying to do is we're trying to uncover the root cause of an issue and then use the tool again to build up from the proverbial ground floor, if you will, to create more transformative outcomes, or in this case, wicked opportunities. So um, in today's podcast, we'll be tackling um, what problem, Frank? So we're going to start off by tackling the problem of the tragedy of the commons. Everybody knows about the tragedy of the commons. We have a fixed pie and we have resources that have been depleted and there's not enough to go around for everybody. we were even playing around with this a little bit before we uh, started recording and, and called it the tragedy of the commoners because I think it's really important to acknowledge that in this moment that we're into that we're seeing so many have-nots in society, people that have been left out from the resources. Um, we've heard a lot of talk about the 1% versus the 99% in the world, but it's that age-old you know, problem of scarcity, really. Right. So if we have a... Uh, perspective or a wicked problem of um, scarcity of limited resources it's it's almost difficult to figure out how to go from there Mm. because if resources are limited if we're living on one earth and we know that you know clean water is limited resources are limited then you do sort of go after this sort of competitive perspective Mm, and if i win you lose type of thing and so um this is such a central sort of issue across all of the headlines i think that we're seeing today um and so we want to unpack this wicked problem and see if we could reframe it using uh, cla as a foresight tool today well i love too that and diving into cla that you said that it was a competitive struggle um, because we think about evolution being competitive, you know, competition. Um, but in reality, as we move towards greater maturity, we're supposed to be moving towards cooperation. This is not a new idea. Um, evolutionary psychologists and scientists have been saying for a long time that the maturity end of the spectrum really is 
cooperation mm. collaboration and so what does it look like when we tackle this issue or this wicked problem of tragedy of the commons but we stop thinking about it in a competition frame uh, set or, or mindset and we think about it more in a cooperative or collaborative mindset I feel like you might be stealing your own thunder <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> I awesome. want to hold your horses there <laughs> but I love this <laughs> <laughs> so if we go down the CLA tool after identifying this wicked problem and and so he'll calls it the litany right yes um, the first level that beneath that is uh, typically the systems or the structures or the actors we ask ourselves why do we have this wicked problem of the tragedy of the commons what are those systems and structures that are in place that are causing this issue to bubble up to the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and of course, I think we've already mentioned that one of those systems is just resources on the planet. Yeah, right? we have one, but one planet, unless Elon Musk gets, you know, further ahead in his plans. We'll um, find out how Mars used to, you know, have river deltas and all this and terraform the planet. But yeah, I mean, I think I even read something this week. It said, if if we read in our sci-fi that we should go to other worlds and inhabit them and all this, then let's think of that here. Let's do that here on Earth, right? And we have to take care of those resources. Absolutely. Um, we need to really reverse the way that we've done industrialization and our systems that be um, because we're burning up those resources. But um, I think as we go down this tool, we might see that there's other thoughts that will bubble up too. Yeah, and resources isn't just natural resources, right. right? I mean, That's right. I, you know, there you take something like human resources, and you hear time and time again how we have a talent shortage, a STEM shortage, um, and you know, and but at the same time, you know, jobs are short, and there's just not enough opportunities, and um, so that competition for resources goes across all domains. It's not the only system structure or actor, right? No, as a matter of fact, when you were saying that, I'm just thinking that um, these systems that are set in place uh, for a long time because of industrialization, which gave us many great things, but we look at the world mechanically, too. Mm, yep. And when we do that, and we have these mechanical structures and actors and systems in place, we look at scarcity uh, in a much different light than we might otherwise if we look at the world much more organically. Right? Mm, yeah, definitely the hierarchy is a component here and not just from an organizational perspective, but certainly um, from a uh, perspective of social structures as well. Um, the, the fact that, you know, power is sort of pulled together at the top of the pyramid, if you will. Um, and uh, so, and then there's less that, you know, trickles down to the rest of the of the uh, society or the organization right? that's right and that's why we end up with things like food swamps and deserts right or even um boy this will tip over some sacred cows but like for-profit health care <laughs> so i know there'll be some people listening and thinking like what are you talking about but I mean, should not everybody on the earth be healthy? And can't, is it possible? You know, is it possible? Because under this kind of mindset, it's like, you're right, I'm talking nonsense if this is the only way to look at the tragedy of the commons and scarcity, mm -hmm. is that I've got to charge people exorbitant amounts for healthcare, everybody can't have it, and there's got to be the haves and the have-nots, and, um, you know, lack of access to education based on race and profit and all of those things. Yeah. That all falls under the systems and structures that see the the world in a mechanical 
tragic, scarce way. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it uh, in our travels across the globe. Sadly, um, we actually had a CEO stand up (laughs) in a session of other CEOs and just boldly say, um, you know, how can I be rich if there are no poor people? Um, I told this story to my son the other night. He almost fell in his chair. He said I was making it up, but it's like he at least this gentleman was bold enough to say what I think a lot of people are actually thinking. Which is sort of scary that we've reached a point now where it's like there's not even a shame in their game to say that. But it just shows you how fundamental this is as part of their belief system. And speaking of beliefs, as we travel down the CLA tool, Mm. we now ask ourselves, why do we have those systems, structures and actors? Because those aren't universal. Other organizations, other nations, other parts of the world may have different systems, structures, and actors. So the next level of the CLA tool asks us to look at the root causes of this issue by exploring the values and the worldviews, um, you know, language, all of those elements. So as we're thinking about tragedy of the commons and we're thinking about the system structures and actors that we just talked about, Frank, limited resources, one planet, communities based on status, top-down ownership. What are some of the values and worldviews that come to mind for you? Well, I can't help but think immediately it boil, uh, bubbles up to the top for me is this idea of, of, of man separating himself. There's a value here as, as dominion. Mm, yeah. But that's what that really means is that like we are at the top of the food chain and um, we're separate from the rest of nature mm. and we're supposed to have dominion over all things. So right. uh, some of this comes from, you know, religious attitudes as well, um, which aren't bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're bad, yeah. but what is that word dominion? What is it supposed to mean in relation to that? We should have a closer relationship with nature and the yeah. world and earth. Yeah, definitely. We've already talked about another value or worldview of competition, which yes. again, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. I mean, competitive sport and I think competition is really wired into um, humanity to some extent, at least into all the clients that we work with. There's always some measure of competition when we work with folks. Um, But that's definitely a value that's undergirding the topics that we've talked about, um, what other value, I mean, uh, what about tribalism? Yeah. Tribalism for sure. You know, it's like, and again, I think that goes back to the competition piece Mm -hmm. versus collaboration, um, that we, but, but it's also, um, meaning and, um, identity. Yeah. Like belonging familial. Absolutely. And, and there's this, you know, what team am I on? Yes. Who's, who's well, my tribe? And so now I belong because we don't, we, we want to know who our tribe is and that's where mm-hmm. we get our values mm-hmm. from. And that's, and we, and we're accepted by the tribe and we're one. And, yeah. and so it is about, um, like you said, familial, it's about belonging and relationship and those kinds of things are important. But, um, again, you can redefine and reframe those things, which we're going to do in a few minutes. But when you look at it that way, then you separate into these tribes and, yeah. and now the resources are pulled among the tribes or taken by certain yeah. tribes. And if you're in the hierarchy or you're in the better tribe, the sneeches with the stars are in their bellies, <laughs> as Dr. Seuss might say, then the resources are going all to you and they don't go to others. Right. And there's definitely, you know, a, a rationale or a value of security um, why I might align myself or why I might perceive there to be scarcity or as a result of perceiving scarcity, I, you know, desire security, um, because there's, you know, again, limited resources. So I need to try to find that sense of security. And I think before we move on from this session, because of course we could stay here forever, is just this idea again of tradition. Mm. 
the reason I say this is so important is because I think our listeners might imagine that we're going to start framing all these, you know, super bad values. And actually, the, the values we're naming aren't Mm-mm. inherently no. bad. It's what you do with them. I like, right? I like security. I'm a big yeah. fan. Or, and traditions, right? I love traditions. Because a lot of times when we say the word tradition, people think of cultural differences, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we don't need to... There's another thing here to colonizing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we don't yes. need to colonize. We need to learn. Diversity breeds creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but again, tradition can separate us. You know, certain traditions mm-hmm. can be held up as uh, being constant, slightly yeah. never change. You know? Yeah, it's sort of like we work with a lot of organizations that have a very strong legacy, which is That's amazing right. and could be a strong foundation for a very, very powerful culture and help with employee engagement and retention. But when that legacy becomes, well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun and, you know, right. whatever's been invented has been invented and so we it's you know we have what we have this is what you know these are the the chips as they are in the game and uh, we can't add to them so and and you bring up a really powerful point one of the things i was trying to say there was that um those things put together say to us this is reality and things aren't going to change maybe they're not even supposed to change and the idea that you're going to try to change these systems is like trying to knock the earth off of its axis Mm -hmm. um so the tradition the tribalism and all this put together we really get in this mindset this groupthink mindset we're never going to change this is the way the world is yeah and i think that actually takes us down to our next level in cla which is sort of the myth and metaphor the image level when we say myth we're not talking about it's not real we're talking about those ideas we hold about how the universe works right those bedrock narratives yes that's right those dominant narratives in dominant narratives yeah perfect because we have this dominant narratives and we think what are you talking about those are the narratives that make reality and that's why i say images too yeah because you know Fred Pollack way back in the day, he wrote in his book, he's like, the images we hold dictate our reality. Yeah. One of my favorite things we ever did was uh, conduct CLA with a uh, a global group of leaders. Um, and we happened to be conducting this in London, but there were individuals from literally across the globe. And we got to the bottom of uh, CLA uncovering the root cause of an issue. And someone had uh, attached something to this myth and metaphor level and had set and, and was just like beside themselves. And, and he said, well, this is a universal truth. This is a universal truth. Yeah, I remember that. And he, he couldn't accept that in another mm. culture and another nation and another worldview this was not a universal truth and and to see in his eyes this realization (laughs) that like how he saw the world was not a universal truth that was not there is no such thing yeah i think it was during that session and maybe one other in argentina one time where people said i get this level now because one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter right right. (laughs) and that's a myth and metaphor right it's it's this deep seated uh unspoken gut reaction that we hold about how the universe works yeah Yeah. so what are some of the images because i know we want to start moving up this tool here um pretty quickly but obviously we talked about hierarchy we talked about success and competition i think about like this ladder and having to climb the ladder of success that's right you know? yeah so immediately you can see that ladder and, and only so many people will fit on the ladder oh yeah. yeah and while you're trying to claim it people ahead of you are trying to kick you kick off you of down the ladder, the ladder yeah it's nice step that's on people nice. as you climb up the ladder those images are powerful Absolutely. there's another one that you know um 
when we were talking about this before the recording, I thought in ancient times, they would put the castle on the top of the hill overlooking the village because you're supposed to, there's two things there. You look up to the king and queen mm -hmm. in the castle right. for security. They're, they're above us, but they're above us, right? Mm -hmm. It's like all the villagers, mm -hmm. the poor villagers down there and the king and queen are up on a hill. So the castle on the hill is a powerful image. Right, absolutely. I mean, you could have the image of a literal fixed pie, you know, where you, you know, have only so much in that pie. The the image of the earth, the, the blue marble, if you will, I That's think right. it's a super powerful image as it relates to resources. Well, you know, um, oftentimes these images like are in our media or just pop and memes. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought too about, um, people might not realize, but the guy in Monopoly actually had a name. He was Uncle Pennybags. Mm. And so we play Monopoly and you, you know, it's gotta be winners and losers and you buy the property and it can't be shared. And, um, Scrooge McDuck used to dive into the coin vault, you know, and like as kids, we all learned, that's what I want to be. I want to be Scrooge McDuck diving into the coin vault. Yeah. There's another one too. Um, in the Titanic, Rose was on this uh, <laughs> door. Did you think we we're going to be talking about Titanic yeah. during this podcast? And, and of course, Leonardo DiCaprio, shh and pushy pushes him down you you can't get on the door you have to hang cling to it and it's it, it, interesting too well by the way he of course was the servant and yeah she was the she rich was very girl. rich yeah and um they've made these memes on you know facebook and across social media now how many things could have actually fit on that door she could have had a tea party on that door <laughs> they could have literally played monopoly together they could have played door. monopoly on the door and the funny part of that is and the interesting metaphor here is that we have this door that we think yeah. I only fit on this door. There's not yeah. enough room for other people yeah. on my door. You know? If I let somebody else on the door, that means I have to I get off. I can't have the yeah. tragedy of the yeah. commons. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I think we've done a good job exploring the root causes of tragedy of the commons in a short time frame. So again, we started with that wicked problem. We've delved into the system structures and actors, and we asked ourselves what values or worldviews undergirded those uh, systems and structures. And then we went a step further to talk about the unspoken sort of truths or narratives, uh, the bedrock stories, if you will, that are often expressed in images or proverbs or sayings or memes in this case. Um, and so now, Frank, we want to do what? We want to go back up this tool, right? Because our goal here is we want to reframe this wicked problem as a wicked opportunity, but we want to start at the bottom. That's right, because we, we know that narratives and story are so important. And so if I think about the myths and metaphors we just had, and I say, can we change that? One of the memes that comes to mind immediately is over the last couple of years, you've seen this cartoon on the internet. It shows three people um, of different sizes, different heights, and they're trying to look over a fence to see a baseball game or some important event. And one person's very tall, one's medium, and one's very short. And the fence stops the shorter people from looking over. It's a barrier. It's mm -hmm. the tragedy of the commons again, right? And so then you often see like... <clears throat> equity equity and you know it's like that means give the shorter person a stool to stand mm -hmm. on so they can see for defense now everybody's at the same height but um there are some really ingenious out there genius versions of the meme that say like why don't you just tear the fence down yeah why do we have a fence why is there a fence in the first place yeah just like yeah. you know why is there a door <laughs> right. with our with our titanic That's right. example you yeah. know yeah and so there's other ones too you know like um I think of uh, like the Goonies is a good example. From Again, did you think movies. we'd be talking about the Goonies? Yeah. There's this great scene 
where Samwise Ganji, <laughs> he also was in Lord of the Rings, says, you know, it's our time. Down here, it's our time. Up there, it's their time. Down here, it's our time. Because the Goonies were the outcasts, right? They were the ones who were the have-nots, so to speak. And, and um, they were having their homes taken away by the haves up top. And of course, they leveled the playing field by their journey. But um, so how do we journey through these myths and metaphors to level the playing field? Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole blue marble means such a powerful image that was taken, you know, when the spaceship was orbiting Earth. Mm. Um, But, you know, it's just interesting because I I see an image of a sun, you know, the sun, which, again, is interesting because we think about our resources being limited and there are limited resources. Things like fossil fuels, we know, have a a limit. But yet we have this, you know, sun blazing on top of our heads that provides a pretty infinite energy in the form of solar power. Right. And because we're so used to thinking about our energy sources in a limited, scarce way, which, you know, again, there's lots of reasons why that's the case. We haven't really fully explored opportunities like solar power. We're starting to now. That's right. Um, But when you think about that source of energy and and that image of the sun uh, and the power of, of its resource, that could be one. Yeah. Energy is a great place. We often do that skit, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I'm digging for oil. If only it's that so ball of gas wasn't blazing down on top of me. Yeah. And so, you know, of course, the oil industry has made tons of money. Um, tons of money can be made through solar as well, mm-hmm. if that were just the only goal. Um, but I think a part of that goal is like you said, that guy said, we have to have tragedy of commons or else I won't have my place. Yeah. And we really have to flip the script. We really do. And it's like, it's the reason why I know we're going back down, but it's, it's so hard not to sort of toggle back and forth. But, you know, why is education so expensive? Um, really, what right. that type of, uh, of resource and, and equipping our citizens and our community with more education should be something that we all realize raises, you know, a, 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 that tide that raises all the ships. That's another sort of image, I think, going back That's up, right. you know, uh, that rising tide um, helps all the ships and that's the type of mentality. So so now traveling back up further from the myths and metaphors, now we're back at worldviews, values, and culture that uh, would be inspired or promoted by these myths and metaphors and these images. So what comes to mind, Frank, as you think about? Well, and as we know, we, we build here, right? Mm-hmm. So those were the myths and metaphors. Then something that's given birth out of that is this idea of equity, equality, respect. I think respect's even more important. Yeah. <clears throat> because we really have to think about, you know, like the Goonies down in the cave. It's like up there, they don't respect us. We're the, that's why they called them the mm, Goonies. Interesting. Yeah. The have-nots. Right. Um, the racial in, uh, inequalities that we call people names because really we're dividing because of mm-hmm. this tragedy of the commons again. Right, right. So in uh, going back, in going down, we talked about the value of competition. Um, we might still obviously have some competition in this world, but really collaboration comes to the forefront. Um, from these images and these myths and metaphors um, and the idea that our survival and security as a species is dependent on our collaboration mm. um, and really flip the script on that concept. I think that would be a critical aspect at this level of the tool. And I think this holism is a value too. It's like Absolutely. we've got to stop seeing uh, ourselves separate from the rest of nature. Yeah, trust is a critical part um, of... I think building this type of wicked opportunity that we're trying to build here, as is, you know, creativity um, and, you know, the the value of diversity 
um, and inclusion as, as a, you know, sort of counterpoint to the tribalism we were talking about before. Yeah, and, and openness as well. So it's like, we've got to stop being afraid to be open. And it's a value that we need to hold. Closed systems on one side, mm-hmm. tragedy of the commons. Other side, we're building a wicked opportunity. It's open. That's right? right. And so if that's the case, then what are some of the structures and systems that would be birthed out of these values? Right. So what if we, instead of thinking more mechanically about mm-hmm. our system structures and actors, we thought more organically? What if we thought about Earth as a living uh, sort of organism yes. um, that, you know, obviously the, the term ecosystem is not a new term, but how do we all sort of, how do we all selves view ourselves as all part of that um, organi- organism and, and ecosystem? Yeah, because when we do that, it totally flips the systems that we would build, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, now we're building more open systems. Regenerative systems. I love this term, broad-based prosperity. It's like we literally think everybody can't be prosperous. We th- we literally think it's not possible. You know why you think it's not possible? Because of the systems that, that, that we live under, yeah. the values that we live under. It is possible. It's just a flipping of the script of the metaphors that we live under and the values that we live under. Yeah. Yeah. Even this idea of like quantum thinking, exponential thinking, right? That's right. right. Yeah. Um, Again, as opposed to thinking linearly or thinking that the future is going to unfold directly from the past, um, we have to realize that there is exponential opportunity for new ideas, new perspectives, new transformative inventions that can absolutely change the world overnight. Yeah. You know, I've got to say this really quickly as we move on to our outcome. What is that wicked opportunity? In the United States here, we often have this argument about could we pay for everybody's health care? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just mm-hmm. giving this as an yeah. example. We say, oh gosh, every we wouldn't be able to afford health care for everybody. And then every half of a every six months, every half a year, we like have this new military budget that's in the trillions. Nobody blinks. Yeah. Nobody blinks. Yeah. And we never say, how are we going to pay for all this trillions of dollars? Million? But we always question how we can pay for everybody to have health care or education. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're having such a hard time with, about thinking of systems like universal basic services or peer-to-peer open education. We just cannot imagine a different world. Yeah, we didn't talk about it on the way down, but I'm just really thinking about fear and about how fear plays such a huge role in that um, current wicked problem. That's right. Um, you know, fear of missing out, you know, the, the classic FOMO, but fear and that, you know, that risk aversion and, uh, you know, fear of the unknown and fear of other people and fear that I, if you get something that means I'm missing out. Um, and obviously that's not necessarily the case if we have different you know, worldviews and and different underlying sort of bedrock narratives. Yeah. So we went through pretty quickly, but I think we've built a good base for a new outcome. So some of the things that we talked about as we went back up the tool were things like, you know, what if we removed the fence? What if we had more of an Mm. adventurous spirit? What if we thought about, you know, things like the sun uh, as, you know, those unlimited resources? Um, And what if we thought about the, the, proverb around the rising tide lifting all the ships right right? and then we talked about some of the values of openness and valuing every life and respect and diversity like the mars right and so then we imagine what systems would be prevalent in a society in a world with those values and those Mm. underlying narratives and we've talked about you know peer-to-peer and regenerative practices and um universal basic services and open education. Yeah. Even something like space exploration. Yeah, that's right. And that 
exponential thinking um, and dare I say futures thinking. You know, uh, just a plug really quick too. We, we have, again, you can see the duality because people say we shouldn't be spending money on space exploration because we need to fix the earth we're on right now. It's that spirit of exploration of a non-tragedy of the commons that makes us say we should apply that same aspect to our earth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we miss the point when we start exploring and, and it's on both sides. Well, we're going to have to find a planet to go to because we're killing this one. Or we need to st- just only pay attention to our planet and not explore. It's both. Yes. It's, it's, both. it's the same reason why every child, uh, as an example, from, you know, we're from obviously U- the U.S. I think every child in the U.S. to travel to another country at some point uh, in their childhood. It's for that same reason that um, that spirit of adventure and exploration really helps open your perspective and right. open your mind and see different things. So, we have to apply that same space exploration attitude to our Earth, which we've forgotten about. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And so if we had tragedy of the commons going down, then our wicked opportunity reframing this wicked problem might be something like imagination literacy which i love i love it (laughs) so we're going to explore more deeply in the weeks ahead this idea of imagination literacy but how do we define something like imagination literacy yeah i think it's it's definitely a mindset i love this concept of literacy because it talks about it like sort of working in the background and supporting um all the things that we do but um definitely we're talking about um open and unlimited solutions and opportunities, just really seeing the world in a completely different way. Um, and uh, having that again, as an undercurrent applied to everything that we do. Yeah, you know, we see so many articles, especially in this time of the pandemic and mm-hmm. racial tensions and murder hornets. Um, Why did we have to have the murder uh, hornets? I feel just, like that was a little over the top for this there's season. There's still months left in this year too, so we'll see what happens. Shush your but, mouth. Um, but we, We've seen so many people say, one of our biggest problems is a dearth of imagination. Mm. And so the tragedy of the commons is not because that's the way the universe works. Mm. It's a dearth of imagination. It's also a fear of the unknown that causes that wicked problem, right? right? And so if what if instead of seeing uncertainty as um, something to be afraid of or something to try to avoid, what if we instead saw it as something that could be leveraged? And I think imagination literacy does this, allows us to see uncertainty as an incredible, credible tool to leverage, to see what's next and to uh, explore those opportunities for greater benefit to all of mankind. Yeah, it redefines what resources are even. Mm -hmm. Because when we have that kind of imagination, we stop saying the resources are limited. True, there are physical resources limited that we need to not consume like you know, there's no tomorrow. There's only one earth. But what if we redefine what resources even are? Yeah. See, and it's back to that thing. A great physical example is the sun versus oil, right? right? But there's ways to think about this in terms of equity and the way we Absolutely. treat one another and education and healthcare and on yeah. and on. And talent. There is not a limited right. amount of talent. Right. Uh, it, we have an incredible amount of talent. Take a look at you know the movements that are that are prevalent today. Those uh, groups and communities that are being left behind. Mm. There's your talent source, but we're just not thinking about it in the right way. Well, so you, you've often given talks about you know the STEM shortage, and um, 
do we have a stem shortage? Go to YouTube and look at all of the user-generated content and you'll see that there's, we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking in the wrong place. We're looking in the wrong way. So hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast where we've explored the wicked problem of tragedy of the commons and reframed it as the wicked opportunity of imagination literacy. Over the next few weeks, we'll continue to explore, map, and create around imagination literacy. And we hope that you'll join us. We'll be using a different foresight uh, tool in each week, and we'll be sharing additional resources to go along with it. So hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and you'll join us next time. Yep. It's great to be here and I can't wait to dive into imagination literacy more. I'll see you next time, Yvette. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. The Wicked Opportunities Podcast has been brought to you by Kedge, a global foresight, innovation, and strategic design firm serving the world's most successful organizations. To learn more, visit www.kedgefutures.com. Interested in more foresight-fueled learning? Check out www.thefuturesschool.com for additional resources, training events, and development offerings in natural foresight. Join us next week as we continue our journey into a future of wicked opportunities.